This is the Music Vibes Podcast, sponsored by Neat 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 Records and Music, located at 1836 South Calhoun Street in downtown Fort Wayne. Neat 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 stocks LPs and CDs across all genres and is an authorized dealer of Ortofone, Audio Technica, Emotiva, Wharfdale, Project, and more. Please visit neatneatneatrecords.com for more information. Thanks, everyone, for joining me here on the podcast. Again, I'm your host, DC Hendricks. Give me a follow on Twitter. I'm at DC Hendricks. Give the podcast a follow on Twitter at Music Vibes Pod on Twitter. Be sure to give us both a follow and, of course, Big 92.3 Radio on Twitter as well. Thanks to Neat Neat Neat, our sponsor here on the podcast. So on this week's edition, we are talking Bruce Springsteen, the stories behind the songs. New fantastic book out by one of my personal favorite writers and music podcast hosts. Brian Hyatt from Rolling Stone. He has a podcast, Rolling Stone Music Now, and he's the senior writer at Rolling Stone. He has this new book out, Bruce Springsteen, the stories behind the songs, where he literally goes through Bruce Springsteen's almost entire catalog. I mean, beginning to end debut album, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, 1973. I mean, he goes all the way to High Hopes, 2014. I mean, just kind of goes through song by song and talks about the stories behind him. He interviewed he's interviewed Bruce Springsteen like six times, five or six times, I believe um, him, Bruce Springsteen himself. And he talked to a lot of, uh, you know, the collaborators, longtime producers, the East Street Band, which is obviously Bruce Springsteen's band. Um, talked to numerous people uh, to get some background information and kind of tell, you know, the stories behind some of the songs. Obviously, we know a couple of his songs. Uh, we obviously know, I'm sure Born in the USA is probably the biggest song. sure everyone's at least heard that one or two times i mean fourth of july before the july comes around you probably heard that on your local radio station somewhere you've heard it somewhere um but another one i that i personally love is dancing in the dark which is from the same album born in the usa let's hear a little bit of dancing in the dark One of my personal favorites. Now, that was probably his biggest album, Born in the USA, but my personal favorite album is his debut album. I love the genuineness of it. Uh, I love that it's just him. Uh, him as a singer songwriter which is probably what he's most known for is his fantastic songwriting uh, and he really displayed that with his debut album Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey in 1973 and one of those songs from that album is Blinded by the Light let's hear a little bit of that Now, I did end up learning in my interview with Brian that that is the only song on that entire album that features an electric guitar, 
which is weird because 1973, there's all kind of electric guitars out thanks to guys like Jimi Hendrix, the Rolling Stones, I mean, Keith Richards. So that's why I love Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Go ahead and bring Brian on. So we're going to dig into some of these stories in his book that he covered. I'm not going to go through all of them because it's, uh, I believe it's like almost 300 pages long. And as I mentioned, it goes through Bruce Springsteen's entire catalog. I mean, we're talking over 10 albums here, at least 10 albums of material that he goes through in this fantastic book. But it's, you know, before anybody's like, oh, that's too long. It's not it's not like encyclopedia or anything. It's a little bit more in detail, man. And it's not boring at all. I mean, it has great stories uh, within this book and digs into some of the songs that you guys may be familiar with from Bruce Springsteen. And I really enjoyed it because I, I think I mentioned on here before, there's a few people, um, a few rock and roll legends that I'm just not familiar with. Didn't grow up a whole lot on them, but I know of them. Obviously, a lot of my generation probably feels that way. Knows of Bruce Springsteen. I've heard his name, but may not be a whole lot familiar with a lot of his songs and him as a rock and roll legend don't know a whole lot about him well that's why we have brian hyatt who wrote this book and who has interviewed him a few times to help us dig a little bit into it uh we're, we're going into bruce springsteen class today um that's that's part of what i love about this podcast is being able to learn a little bit about some of the legends in music that i don't know a whole lot about and um, if you guys are familiar with bruce springsteen i guarantee you're going to learn something today about him that you didn't know before so be sure to stay tuned here on this podcast let's go ahead and bring brian on this is brian hyatt rolling stone senior writer and the host of the rolling stone music now podcast and not to mention the author of this book bruce springsteen the stories behind the songs thank you so much for joining me today man i appreciate it oh man thanks uh, so much for having me i enjoy following you on twitter and uh, i'm looking forward to doing this absolutely man so let, let's just start off um what gave you the idea because i know you've done so many different interviews throughout your career and to start off you can start off with that too how long you've been writing for rolling stone what gave you the idea to get get in this book as well well, yeah, man, I've been writing for Rolling Stones since uh, 2004, uh, which is crazy. We're, we practically have writers now who, were, who weren't born <laughs> when that happened. Not quite, but we're almost at interns, maybe. Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing it forever. Um, and as far as the idea for this book, I mean, I, there's no fancy story. The truth is um, I, I was contacted by a British publisher who was looking to do a book like this. And it was sort of an offer I couldn't refuse, only in the sense that I was like, well, I think a lot of people who might take on this assignment might kind of just do it as a, as a coffee table book, which this is. I mean, it's a really nice-looking book. As I can say that because it had nothing to do with how nice it looks. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it, it's a really nice-looking book, and there's a way of doing this kind of book where you're just like, boom, boom, bam, here's what's out there, just kind of summarize it, make it look nice, and go. And I knew that I wouldn't do it. I would not do it unless I could truly add significantly to the historical record on Bruce Springsteen. And then I would go nuts reporting it and really find stuff out. And I just for that very reason is why I took it on. And so I kind of like overdid it probably, but hopefully to the benefit of, of readers. It's like you can appreciate the level of like, oh, this is a nice looking book, but also hopefully you'll, even if you know a ton about Bruce Springsteen or like you, if you're just getting into him, mm -hmm. hopefully you can learn something. And that, that's kind of the idea. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen a couple of reviews out that are saying it's a perfect book for fans of Springsteen, but I would even leave my review, which I probably will on Amazon. Please, this, please do. I'll say that right now in public. Please do. <laughs> absolutely, man. Yeah, I'll leave my, I'll leave my review. My review was going to say, I mean, this book is also perfect for the younger generation that may not be really familiar with Bruce Springsteen. Of course, we know of him. I mean, hopefully, anyway, if you listen to music, you better know Bruce Springsteen. But um, th this book goes through his entire 
I mean, his entire music catalog and goes through the songs and the stories behind some of the songs that we have heard, you know, Born to Run, uh, Blinded by the Light. So let's go ahead and dig into it, man. Let's go ahead and get into what's your personal favorite Bruce Springsteen album? You know, it's actually, it might be a hard question, but it's actually kind of an easy question. My answer is always Darkness on the Edge of Town. Wow. Uh, I, I just... I just love that. I love that album for its kind of its rawness and power and and sort of atmosphere, um, you know. And, and I love it most on a song like "Something in the Night," which is a pretty obscure song, but it, it's so atmospheric and dark and powerful. And just in general, it's like the closest thing to. It's certainly not a punk album, but it's Bruce's sort of moment when he was being influenced by that music so it, it's it's raw and unadorned and uncompromising and has his sort of most powerful emotional songs and obviously i wouldn't have written this book if there weren't a lot of other favorites but <laughs> that's always going to be my answer as far as my favorite album wow yeah that one has a few on there i do remember i think the promised land is on that one um, oh yeah yep something in the light or something in the night um i think is racing in the street on that one as well um there's, there's absolutely a, yeah so absolutely. Those, those are a few i've heard see i'm familiar with some um probably uh partially to this book <laughs> i'm reading, reading all right good good, read, good read through the book so my favorite let's start off with my personal favorite and it's yeah, let's, it's, let's it's very it. it's very rare that a debut album is a personal favorite of mine but i honestly love and i'm a 70s guy i mean it, it doesn't really shock me that this is my favorite but his very debut album let's start off greetings from asbury park new jersey which was released in 1973 let's go ahead and dig into that and a couple of the songs that you highlighted in the first chapter of the book all right on page 14 um let's start off with the that album yeah uh greetings from asbury park yeah i mean that's a uh, that's a very interesting choice for a favorite album mm-hmm. my sense is i love the songs on the album or most of the songs on the album but the sense was always from fans and critics that the recordings were a little bit unrealized, that it was almost like a demo tape, you know? And so I think a lot of those songs are best in their live renditions. That said, uh, for this book, I spent more time with that particular album than I ever had before, because again, it was like I would be more likely to listen to the live version of those songs. Mm -hmm. So I dug deep into the actual recording of that album, and that was super interesting. One of the things that people kind of knew but maybe don't quite realize is that there is almost no electric guitar whatsoever on the entire album of Greetings from Asbury Park, except for the opening track, Blinded by the Light, which has very prominent electric guitar at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and then rhythm guitar throughout. But other than that, if I remember correctly, there is no electric guitar on that album other than a little amp blast at the beginning of Lost in the Flood. It's actually just a feedback blast. It sounds like an explosion, courtesy of Little Steven, which is his only contribution to that album. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Uh, not a whole lot of electric guitar on this, but and, and I know a lot of fans, they talk about that um, as being one of their, I guess, issues with this album and why it wouldn't be their personal favorite. I loved the genuineness of it. Um, it just felt like this is a guy which is at least my perception of Bruce Springsteen is a guy who's a great songwriter. And on this first album, I feel like that's what brought it out. It is very much a singer songwriter album, and it was made in that um in that vein, I think somewhat deliberately, I think they were mm-hmm. focused on the idea that that was what the market wanted to a certain extent. So they were thinking of him as a singer-songwriter rather than a rocker, no matter what he personally, his preference might have been. 
Yeah, so let's start off. You mentioned this song. Let's kind of go into the story um, that you have this fantastic, I mean, starting off this book, start off with the bang, man. Um, I can't say that enough, but let's go ahead and dig into the story behind the song Blinded by the Light. All right. Uh, we're going <laughs> to, it would take us about, uh, I'm trying to figure out how many hours it would take us to do this for, song, for all the songs in the book. But yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll start with the first. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it's basically like to get into the story is basically you have to get into the story of the album and where he was at because it's, it, it kind of contains everything of, of uh, you know, in order to get to that song, you need a lot of backstory. But I, I guess to skip all that, mm-hmm. basically, so he was at the end of the, he had made a version of Greetings from Asbury Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it included five songs that had a band on it. Um, that was, it was the Eastery Band before it had a name, essentially. And then there were five completely acoustic tracks. One of them was called Visitation at Fort Horn, and you can actually hear this song, Visitation at Fort Horn, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it sucks, because that's, that's a little bit undiplomatic. <laughs> um, but it, it's not a good song. I, flat out, it, it's an extremely boring song. It's just like, mm-hmm. it, it's just plodding, and dull, and, and just not exciting. Mm-hmm. And so, Clive Davis, and this is an example where people think of record executives as just ruining music, you know what I mean? They, like, you make your artistic statement, and then the label says, you know, we won't release that, and then you have to compromise and ruin it. That's the kind of cliche, right? Yeah. But as Bruce himself has said to me, sometimes that's not the case. And this is a case where Clive Davis, uh, the famous head of Columbia Records at the time, said, you know, I don't know about this. I think that we need a couple songs that are more likely to be played on the radio. And when that was conveyed to Bruce, he didn't, you know, <laughs> quit and run home and, and didn't quit the music industry forever. <laughs> he basically was like, all right. And he sat down and wrote two songs. And the two songs were Blinded by the Light and Spirit in the Night. And, the, and of course, he had his rhyming dictionary, as you can hear in the, on, the, uh, on this album. There's a lot of rhymes. You know, Bruce had bars at that point. He's always had bars, let's face it. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you know, but he he has he has serious bars. I'm I'm blinded by the light. That 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 is rhyming. Um, but and so not only that, but Clarence Clemens, the E Street Band mm-hmm. saxophonist, even though there was no E Street Band yet, hadn't mm-hmm. been around for the previous sessions of Greetings. He he wasn't part of the band yet. Uh, Bruce had met him and was trying to track him down, couldn't find out where this dude was. You know, there was no, no one had email or cell phones or anything. He just couldn't find the guy, didn't have a number. And so he tracked down Clarence, and Clarence showed up. And, uh, and Clarence plays sax all over the song. And so in this song, you have electric guitar. You have Clarence Clemens on sax. Mm-hmm. And you start to get to, well, this is the E Street Band, uh, a little hint of what of the future and it's yep. it's very much a different thing than some of the more acoustic songs on the album and that's basically the story i mean there's much more but but that's basically the story yeah well, they they'd have to get the book to get the rest and that's we are, right that's right that's and, right and and we are not going to go through the entire <laughs> the entire <laughs> album we we obviously it would take it would take a while to go from I would 19, enjoy it, but yeah <laughs> night from 1973 all the way to 2014 i mean 2018 if you want to go springsteen on broadway uh but we don't we right. don't <laughs> we don't have all that um so yeah like you mentioned uh back in, and then he followed up this album with uh the, the wild the innocent and the east street shuffle still in 1973 yeah. but i want to jump ahead a little bit to 1970 Right. Born to Run. Let's jump to that one. Obviously, that's one of his biggest hits, Born to Run. Let's kind of go into the story behind Born to Run. 
Well, you know, this is, this is one of the ones that's been told, and so it was, it was tough to, like, get new detail, but I think I did. And so Born to Run is like, you know, Bruce has never been, ex- with the exception, really, of this particular song, has never been like the Beatles where he's laboring over one song and, and uh, you know, perfecting it and layering it. That's not his style, except on the song Born to Run, where he basically spent six months working on it. You know, Columbia Records again, had lost faith in him. Mm-hmm. They were basically telling him, we will not fund an album for you unless you record a single that we like. I mean, of course, this is incredible looking back, but mm-hmm. that's the case. He was not selling, and they were losing patience. And so he, had, he decided that he was going to make a single that you know the world could not ignore. He decided he was going to make one of the greatest songs of all time. He, just, he literally sat down and decided to do that. That's true. That's what he says. And wow. so he, he had this guitar riff, he had, you know, a bunch of influences, and he basically had this idea that he was going to make kind of a, a cross, a, a, a girl group, Phil spector kind of thing with, a, with, a, with that wall of sound production that Phil, Spe- Phil Spector was famous for. So mm-hmm. very layered, very, um, very much a studio creation, not just people playing live in the studio. And they went for six months, mm-hmm. perfecting this thing, track after track after track. The, you know, the, the acoustic guitar alone, there's 12 overdubs. You barely can hear acoustic guitar in that song, but that's how many acoustic guitars on there. There's everything in there. And, and I think Steven Zandt made the best point about the song Born to Run, which is that it really was in some ways a precursor to punk rock because... Right, right at that time, everyone was looking towards the future. They were trying to be sort of rootless and create this, something new for the 70s. Mm-hmm. And Bruce was looking back at Phil Spector, twist and shout chords, a Dick Dale surf riff. And as Steve said, he put that together. He got a pretty weird record for 1974. It was a strange, strange move at the time. And he said, I think it was one of those things that actually helped lead to the whole punk movement to follow. That and the leather jacket. And, you know, don't forget, at the time, Bruce was wearing the exact kind of motorcycle jacket that very soon the Ramones would walk around with for the rest of their career. Uh, and, he, and I think people don't really understand this, that the idea of reviving elements of, like, sort of 50s and early 60s rock, rock was not really on people's radar. Bruce was one of the key people who reconnected rock with, its, with rock and roll, basically. You know, because people were saying, we're basically calling it, there's a difference between sort of rock and rock and roll at that point. Right. Rock and roll being like, you know, the real core stuff. Mm-hmm. And Bruce reconnected it, and I think that's a, a lot of the story of Born to Run. There you go. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Uh, so you mentioned that this one was your is your personal favorite Bruce Springsteen album, and this is where you did interview a lot of people. You've even interviewed Springsteen like five times, I think I've seen in the release or something, five yeah. times. And this is where... Um, a lot of the quotes came in um, and I really started to dig into it and felt uh, really engaged And because I, I didn't know a whole lot about Darkness on the Edge of Town prior to reading this. So I learned a lot from this. But uh, I'll let you pick which song and what stories to go into. So this is your personal favorite. Pick which songs from this album to talk about the story behind it. Maybe we'll just do, uh, let's see. I mean, well, let's do The Promised Land. So it's like, okay. it, you know, all that stuff about in that, in that song, if you know that song, he's, he's talking about 
the desert, and he's talking about a storm and a rattlesnake speedway, mm-hmm. all this stuff. It's all from a real trip he took, a road trip he took uh, through the Southwest in, like, Utah, Nevada, and Every detail in it is just stuff he saw, you know, and I, I, I love stuff like that. I love when it's real. And then the other thing is that song is kind of like a folk song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like three chords. You can play it on acoustic guitar. It's very, very simple and very different from the sort of like operatic Roy Orbison pop structures that were all over Born to Run. And it pointed the way forward. I mean, that's what people think of Bruce is like stripped down, folky, straight ahead, three chords. But that was not what he was doing up until that point. There, especially on East Street Shuffle and on Born to Run, there's some really complex stuff going on. So it's, it's a paring down, a paring down of simplicity, and it, it's a beautiful song. A couple more years after that, uh, he has The River, Nebraska, and then I think his breakthrough, I suppose, um, as of we reach today, his 1984 release of Born in the USA, which I think is his probably biggest album, not my personal favorite, but in terms of you know commercial, uh, radio play, uh, national perception, Born in the USA probably looked at as his greatest album, greatest creation in his discography. Um, so let's kind of dig into Born in the USA. It has a couple tracks on it, um, obviously Born in the USA <laughs> um, um, that, that everyone probably knows. Also, another one of my personal favorites, Dancing in the Dark, which is also looked at as a big song, but kind of dig into Born in the USA for us. Yeah, well, let's talk about Dancing in the Dark, because that's a good one. It's like, mm-hmm. similarly to Blinded by the Light, it was a very last-minute thing. The album was basically done, and they had been recording this album for at least two years, just, just on and off to session after session. Uh, and, you know, in a way, uh, and it's, you know, part of it was that Bruce was like, as usual, he was kind of fearing the really commercial, energetic stuff he recorded at the beginning because he, he just had a suspicion of sort of like pop and things that were easy and things that were really appealing. Like he really, really didn't release a lot of the, hip, the hits he made and even recorded up until Born USA. He always, you know, that's how Because of the Night... Uh, was given away to Patti Smith because he knew it was a hit, and he didn't want that hit. I mean, imagine, that's very different from, (laughs) we don't have a lot of artists like that today. I mean, I I know that, like, Kendrick Lamar told me that he'll he'll have songs that he knows are hits that he wouldn't release. (laughs) But he's he's really old school in a way. You know, that's, you know, that that is a very different thing. So, um, Dance in the Dark was basically, like, as many hits as he had for Boring USA. His manager, John Landa, was like, you know what, man, I, I... I don't think we have the song. We need a song that's like the song that will just announce this album, take over radio, take a stand. And Bruce was pissed. I mean, this is a, this is a story is well told, but mm-hmm. I'll tell it again, which is that you know Bruce was like, you know, write your own song. But he <laughs> went home and he wrote this song, Dancing in the Dark. Comes in the studio the next day and they're trying to record it as a rock song, but it's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's just kind of like guitar-dominated, whatever. And John Lando is uh, Bruce's manager and producer, and this was, you know, from my book I'd never heard before. He went to Max Weinberg, who's a drummer, and he basically whispered, he's like, he's like, play it like Beat It. Play it like Beat It. Hmm. And he, he meant, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's Beat It. Yeah. And what he meant is, like, play it like a, like a dance song, like a pop song. You know, and between that and the fact that Roy Bitten, the keyboardist, had gotten this new synthesizer with this very modern sound, and he started he started playing a pulse to it that drives the song like a synth pulse, 
and you have a synth pulse and a beat that's basically beat it, and all of a sudden you have a Bruce Springsteen song that sounds nothing like any other Bruce Springsteen song. You have a Bruce Springsteen song that sounds like current radio. And that's how it became like that. And, you know, the rest is history. It's a huge hit. Although it never hit number one, famously, because... Wow, really? Uh, when Dove, because When Doves Cry by Prince uh. was at number one. And, uh, and it, it just blocked it off. So, the, I mean, that was a pretty good weeks or months or in 1984, man, when, uh, <laughs> when you had your number one was When Doves Cry and your number two was Dancing in the Dark. So, there wow. you go. It's just another one of those that can never reach number one. There's always, there's always one. There's there's always one That's song right. that stops that stops her from he's never, and, and in fact, he's never had a number one single. That was the closest he ever came. Wow. That's unbelievable. See, that's something you also learn. Kind of fast forward a little bit more. Just kind of, I believe the the rising wasn't until 2002, which was uh, one of the albums that I've heard recently. But, but kind of uh, recap the 90s for me. How was the 90s? I know he had a few albums, Human Touch, Lucky Town. Um, just kind of recap the 90s for Bruce Springsteen for us. All right, I can do that. So the 90s were a period of... I was going to say struggle, but that's not quite right. It, it, yeah. was, a, it was a period of, of searching a little bit, a very happy time for him personally because he, he uh, got married a second time and had kids, yep. and his whole life was kind of reshaped. He wasn't the, the kind of loner out by himself anymore. He really was a guy in his 40s with a family. So that was, you know, he was probably, it seems like, you know, listen, I don't know for sure, but it seems like it's probably the happiest personal decade of his life. You know, it would, it would make sense. But... It was also like a decade of searching because in, in uh, around 89, he broke up the E Street Band, mm-hmm. which at the time fans were very, very upset about. But in retrospect, it makes sense. I mean, he, he'd been playing with them nonstop, you know, for whatever it was, for mm-hmm. four, 14, 15 years. And he yeah. was just wanted a change. He moved to L.A. and he tried recording new stuff, which was, you know, with, with studio musicians and with Roy Bitten still along. And he was kind of caught between, am I changing everything about me or am I just changing a little bit? What am I going to sing about? Who am I now that I'm in my 40s? And I'm like, you know, which is funny, like at the time, I'm sure he felt like that was, you know, kind of old, which is, you know, it doesn't seem so anymore, but it was like, it was all this stuff, like, who am I now? And also, I just had, you know, the Borneo Say stuff was only like, you know, eight years before or whatever, and so that was, and that was a big thing to be that huge. I mean, he was, in Borneo Say, it was him, Springsteen, Prince, Madonna, and those were like, and Michael Jackson, and those were the superstars of that era. And he wasn't sure he wanted to be that, or if he could be that, etc. And so it was just this kind of struggle. And I, you know, I have a, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes in the whole book is Toby Scott, his longtime engineer, told me that mm-hmm. Bruce was like, oh, man, we should, I should get a whole new guitar sound. That was one of the things he was thinking when he was recording. <laughs> and so Toby brought him all these guitars and all these amps. And Bruce was trying them out. And Toby said that Bruce would try them out. It sound different. And what Bruce would inevitably end up doing is he would turn all the dials, turn all the knobs on the guitar and the amp until it sounded exactly like his old setup again and again. So I think that's a great metaphor for how he was caught between, I want to do something new, but maybe I just kind of want to continue. And so I think if there was a, and Human Touch was, uh, it was the album he, he recorded first, which is a, a very slick album that has some great moments on it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a little slick, a little tame, a little bit like maybe some of the songs are not his best songs. And even he at the time knew that something wasn't quite right. So they had this burst of creativity before he even put out the album and recorded in like 
two, three weeks, he recorded an album called Lucky Town that, uh, you know, I think and a lot of people think is way better. And if it has flaws, it's the opposite flaws. It's too underdeveloped. It's too quickly written, too quickly, you know, a little bit under, under, underbaked, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then he ended up releasing both of them because he couldn't choose both of them on the same day. Well, a very rare thing because uh, Guns N' Roses obviously released, had just released Usual Illusion 1 and 2 on the same day. But those were, those albums weren't different from each other. They were just basically one giant album. These were two different albums that sounded completely different from each other with completely different vibes written at different times released on the same day. And the weird thing is they each had flaws. They were the opposite flaws. Like I said, mm-hmm. Human Touch was over, overproduced, over slick. Lucky Town was arguably overraw. But I, I still think there's some great, great stuff on, on, on the album Lucky Town, including the song Lucky Town, which is one of his very best songs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there you go. Just going to say that. Took the words right out of my mouth. One of my personal, I would say, top 10 favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. Absolutely. Um, kind of recap in the 90s there. So um, you've interviewed him a few times. How How is he in interviews? I, I've watched a few, but how was he for you, you know, kind of interviewing him and you're just kind of going back to when you were digging up some of this material? He, he's the, he's a very serious person in general. I mean, I think that that's one of the things I learned both talking to him over the years and talking to all these uh, the the people I talked to for the book is this is someone with a great, great, great seriousness of purpose, and which doesn't mean he doesn't have a sense of humor, but it's just he takes it seriously. If he's doing an interview, he's going to be focused on the interview and be very, very, very aware of the fact that he's speaking for the record that the world is going to be reading what he says, and he wants to get every word right. And his focus and his intelligence and patience is formidable. Yeah, because I've seen a, I've seen a couple of them, and he did come off as you know very serious, very professional, which is uh, also rare. I could only imagine how many people you've interviewed, and I've even interviewed just in my year and a half of doing this show. I've had some rough ones, so uh, and I, I've seen a couple of his that you know he just seems very locked in on the interview and it seems engaging uh during it so yeah. I, I was just i was very curious about that proud of, I, I, I cracked him up at least once so that i'm proud of that you got him to laugh that that's yes i say yeah, yeah i got him to laugh really hard once so that was good we got a comedian <laughs> we got a comedian slash journalist here uh joining us that's that's just pretty tough um so just kind of recap here because i didn't want to go into too much because i want people to actually purchase the book and read it no, but, no, just, it's all good. but just kind of summarize everything that both Springsteen fans, diehard fans, and people like myself who know of Bruce Springsteen but not are not a hundred percent familiar with this catalog, just kind of preview exactly what they get when they read this fantastic book of yours. Oh well, thanks. So, I mean, the idea was to dig into every song on a couple different levels, because, or actually, sorry, more than a couple, like a bunch of levels, because mm-hmm. every song contains within it. Not everyone, but uh, yeah, a lot of the songs contain within. There's the back. There's a number of potential things a song could have in its story. It could have the real life events, whether in his life or other people's life, that that inspired it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have the context of where he is in his life and career when he started working on it. It could have the actual writing of the song, the drafts, the different versions, the development of the music and the arrangements, then the recording, what went wrong, what went right, how, what did the musicians think, what were the influences of the individual musicians, and I went for all of that. So it's a combination of all these different approaches, and some of you know, I, I conducted like 60 hours of new interviews for this book, wow. and that included members of the E Street Band and all sorts of other musicians, Tom Morello, uh, you know, 
tons of people, producers, engineers, uh, who, who, you know, some of the people who work most closely with Bruce, including Jimmy Iovine, by the way, which is crazy. You know, he's, Jimmy Iovine, man, he's a, he's a billionaire mm-hmm. uh, working at Apple, sold beats to Apple. He's calling me from his Apple office, and he's talking about turning dials for <laughs> Bruce Springsteen in 1977. Wow. And, you know, in 19, <laughs> with me. And, and he remembers every dial he ever turned. And that's just, you know, and, and the fact that he got on the phone to do that is a sign of his respect to, to Bruce Springsteen and with enthusiasm. He's talking about the echo he put on an individual track on a Bruce Springsteen album in 1977 or whatever, 1975, Mm -hmm. and with great detail and great enthusiasm, and that says it all. But, yeah, so I talked to a million people, and it all informs them. You know, Max Weinberg and Roy Bittner are a huge part of this book. They, you know, Max's memory is insane, and he gave me so, so many new details about the recording and the rehearsals and everything else. Uh, so that it's just a matter of like both telling the stories that are out there in, in an engaging way and just adding, adding, adding new stuff, new stuff, new stuff, and and hopefully it succeeded. I, I'm very pleased that so far that I've heard from both super super hardcore Bruce fans mm-hmm. and from people yourself who are just getting into him that that they're both finding it satisfying because that was the line I, I tried to walk because you can get in a thing where you're telling some of the familiar stories and people are like come on I know this but if you mm-hmm. you know if you tell them well enough and with it with a twist and then keep adding new details then hopefully everybody's happy and I didn't want it to be boring man I didn't want it to be an encyclopedia at all oh. I wanted it to be like uh, you know very much like the magazine articles I write which are like you know storytelling yeah. And and some entertainment and amusing details and stuff that meant something. And so that that was all the goal, I guess. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. And another thing that another element that added even more to this book are all of the fantastic photos throughout it. I mean, I think there's a photo for every every song, every page, and it just kind it kind of adds another element to it. It does, and you know that that like I said, that's the part I can't take, uh, or I don't know, I've been saying that I, I can't take credit for that really. But the the uh, the publishers did a great job with that, mm-hmm. and you know I think it enhances, it, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's good as a physical book. There's no ebook available right now, but even if there was, I would kind of recommend it. Looks good on a coffee table, I will say that it's it's, <laughs> it's both like something that looks good on your coffee table, but you actually want to read it, which is I think a fairly unusual combination. I'm proud of it. It's it's, it's kind of like the the coffee table book that that could because it could like I said it could have been just just meant to sit there but actually it it it, it looks good and you pick it up and read it that's my pitch <laughs> it's right i have it right on i have a little music station uh in my in my apartment and it, it's right next to my record player um and it, it makes a great it makes a great uh music station book it, it looks really good although it's about as big as my record player um, but it's I a, love it. <laughs> but it's a it's absolutely fantastic, man. I, if you guys are interested in purchasing purchasing the book, you're listening to this podcast. Scroll on down. I have the link right there for you. Go to straight to Amazon. You guys can purchase the book and be sure to follow my man on Twitter at Hyatt B. All of his stuff is at Rolling Stone. But before I let you go, I cannot bring you on here without letting you pub that podcast to yours real quick. Go oh, ahead yeah, and uh, you. you have the floor, even man. For, even for a competition. Yeah, no. So it's a uh, Rolling Stone music now. Uh, it's out every week. It uh, does a lot of different stuff, uh, interviews with famous musicians and discussions and all sorts of stuff. And uh, check it out. Uh, if you're a fan of this podcast, uh, you'll probably like it as well. And, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun, man. Absolutely, man. We'll have to do this again. Appreciate you joining me, and thanks Anytime. for sending me the book. Absolutely. Don't be silly. Thanks again. 
Be sure to keep up with the Music Vibes podcast with DC Hendrix presented by Neat 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 Records by subscribing on everywhere podcasts are available. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, everywhere podcasts are available. Make us one of your favorites by subscribing and make sure to leave us a review and let me know what you guys are thinking of the Music Vibes podcast. That'll do it for this week. And until next week, everybody, be sure to spread some peace and love. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.